way more. I wouldn't say on time because that's three minutes ago, but in that spirit. I'll wait till Robert Trump to tell me he's ready. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Trump, Rabbi Wine, for joining us. The Yom Tov that we're about to celebrate is referred to as Chag HaMatzos in the Torah. Torah calls it Chag HaMatzos, again and again. We call it Pesach. The Kedusha Slevi very famously said that it's very much like the Jewish people wear tefillin, that talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, anthropomorphically, wears with pride on his head, so to speak, tefillin, and they, in those tefillin, talk about us. So that we call it Chag HaMatzos, through the Torah, we call it Chag Pesach, with regard to what Hashem did to us. The Torah calls it Chag HaMatzos because that's what we do. As HaKadosh Baruch said, rush, we rushed. We trusted Him, we went out without anything, substantively food, we went out with nothing but a few matzos left over from the night before. Quickly prepared, not allowed to leaven, so the praise of the Jewish people is in the Torah. HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, records our praise, our Shavach, Chag HaMatzos. We call it Pesach because we're praising HaKadosh Baruch So he says that's a little bit like the tefillin. Our tefillin say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. We're praising Hashem. God's tefillin praises us. Mikam Yisrael So we call it Pesach. Because we're talking about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did for us. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu means to us. And so the first of the three items, culturally, we must express Pesach, Matzah, Marar. Which means we don't just say those words, but we understand what they mean to us. And then we quote the Psukim. So in the case of Pesach, what we say is, Vamartem Zevach Pesach Ulashem. Asher Pesach al Bate Bene Yisrael bin Mitzrayim bin Akpoyas Mitzrayim Vespotenu Hitzil. Pesach has two meanings, two literal meanings at the same time. They're very different, but they merge and blend beautifully and come together on this Yom Tov. One, of course, is to skip, <coughs> to be poseach, to skip over and away from those Jewish homes where the Bechorim were allowed to live. But it also means to have mercy. Targum translates it to mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed kindness and mercy to us in our homes. Skipping over those particular homes was obviously a tremendous act of mercy on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's part. But the Pesach and the Korban mean so much, so much more, and they really mean so much to us today, and not only about that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu did then, Let's consider some of the unique characteristics and qualities that we all know are associated with the Korban Pesach, and then let's understand what they tell us, and then what the Pesach is all about. What we mean when we say, Pesach Zusha Hoyu Avaseinu Ochlim, Bizman Shabbesa Bikta Shayakayim Al Shummo. 
No other Chag has a Karban of that Chag. There's no Karban Sukkot. There's no Karban Rosh Hashanah. There's no Karban Shavuos, Karban Sukkot. Only Karban Pesach. That's number one. Number two, everyone must partake of and be counted to a Karban Pesach. Everyone, every man and woman in Klal Yisrael must be a part of a Pesach. Not only must you be a part of a Pesach, but you have to, before you have the Shechita done, you have to be accounted to a particular Pesach. And once you're a part of that Pesach, that's it. You know, just like today, okay, you know, by, uh, by uh, I guess by a couple of weeks ago, if not by a few days ago, everybody knew, okay, this kid's coming to the first days, and then the other kids are coming for the last days, you know. Lemenuyov, everybody is accounted for. Where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Pesach really was that way, but to the extreme. Once you were accounted to a particular Pesach, that was the Pesach from which you had to have a certain amount, you had to eat from it. You could not later in the day say, you know, I'm going to go and well, be a part of another carbon Pesach. You wouldn't be allowed to. You had to have from that Pesach only, and everybody has to partake of a Pesach. Then there's another issue, very unique. Very unique. It's a male. It's a carbon shlamim. It has to be zacham. And then another issue, everybody associated with the Pesach has to be in compliance with the mitzvah of Milo. And the Torah makes a big deal out of that. Not only kol lo yochal but if you own a Eved or Shifcha, a woman who owns a slave of any age, male, has not, and that male slave servant has not been circumcised, she may not eat of the carbon Pesach. It's not only that a man who's not circumcised, but any man or woman who owns an Eved, and that Eved has not had Milo, cannot have a carbon Pesach. They cannot partake of a Pesach. And then finally, the Pesach and the sacrifice of the Pesach and preparing it, which is all done air of Pesach, right? So except for the roasting of the Pesach, which would have to wait till Matzah Shabbos, if Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos, which it does even in our calendar, so Bizman Shabbos HaMikdash HaYakayim, when Erev Pesach was Shabbos, the Pesach was Doche Shabbos, so that they would shech the Pesach that day and sprinkle the dam and sing the halal and the azara, and then wait till nightfall and then roast the Pesach and partake of it. So Pesach is Doche Shabbos. All of this comes together very beautifully. Because what the Pesach stands for, we, are, we, we know, means the, the, the end of the connection of the Jewish people to a way of thinking and even to a way of believing in their own destiny. We're in Mitzrayim. And in Mitzrayim, the nation, the entire nation, the Volk, all believe in the preeminence of Egypt. They are in the Zodiac. They fall under the constellation of Aries. <coughs> Aries being the first of the astrological signs. They believed that gave Egypt its power. That's why they had empire. That's why they had success. <coughs> 
it's hard for us to relate to that because we're living in a more informed, better educated, I hope, more rational time. They believed that. They really did. And you can be sure that that was a belief shared with the Jewish people who were in Egypt, the Hebrew people. That was normative. That was exactly what everyone understood. Egypt's very powerful, and they're in the sign, under the sign of Ares. And that's why they are so successful, and that's why they're able to hold sway over us. In the words of one of the great thinkers uh, in Jewish and Hasidus, the Vinay wrote a Sefer Derech Pikudecha. He says that they had their concept of a Bechor. The Mitzrayim believed they were the firstborn. And that they fell under that sign of the zodiac that was proof. They're the first. The first astrological sign was theirs. So all the other peoples and nations come after them. The first message of God to the Pharaoh was, B'ni b'chori Yisrael. You've got it all wrong. The real preeminent nation in the world, the real b'chor of nations, is Yisrael. The Egyptians believed that everything is planned and everything is preordained. How you can bring down the good graces of the gods from what is reflected in the celestial bodies? Well, you have to have deference and respect for Ares, for the ram. The slaughter of the Pesach puts an end to all of that. The ram has to be a brought as the cover in Pesach. It's a male, which would grow up to be a ram. Over. That's... That's, God is in control of all of that which the Egyptians think is connected to the zodiac and to astrological forces and reflections of the pagan gods. There is only one cause for everything that happens in this world. There's nothing that is going to be predestined. It's all dependent upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu and your relationship with Him. And that's for everybody. So there's something called Hashgacha Pratis. Every single person, every individual Jew, has to know and feel, I have a bite in this. That's my kezayis, so to speak. It's not preordained. There is no power or force in Aries or in any other of the constellations, Zodiac. There is nothing but what Hashem chooses. And so item by item that we mentioned earlier, that it's a male, which would grow up to be a ram, that every individual in Klal Yisrael has a part in it. It has to have a kezayis, everybody. Because each person has his and her role to play, a vital role to play. And exactly what will happen in the life of every individual Jew is not in anyone else's control, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as he decides and as he deems fit, and of course, as we might deserve, according to our Maisim Tovim. So everybody in Klal Yisrael has a kezayis of a carbon Pesach. We mentioned that everyone has to have bris meal in order to have Pesach. It's a fascinating thing about meal. When God told Avram Avinu to do bris meal, he says, His halaych lefanai, samim. We hear it, the Moel says it at every bris. 
is halech lefanai v'hayei samim. Tmimos means to be trusting. And the Ramban says the point of Mila is to take the boy and to have him understand that there is no natural order and there is no natural sequence in which his life will unfold. And there is no superstition to worry about. And nothing and no one else to fear. Be completely and almost, almost naively committed to whatever the Rebona Shalom wants because that's where all of that which lies ahead for you is rooted. It's rooted in the will of God. And that's what the Mila accomplishes. That's what the Mila expresses. It reminds us in our very flesh that everything that happens in this life is decided by no other force but by the Rebbe Nishlalim. So that's exactly what the Pesach is. So these are two mitzvos, I say, the only two mitzvos I say, that must be fulfilled. Otherwise, God forbid, at pain of death, misas kares. Mila and Pesach. Because they really both are saying the same thing. They're both saying that we realize everything is decided by HaKadosh Baruch Everything in our personal lives, for everyone, not just for the nation, but for every individual. As we said, that's what each person's kezayis represents. And then, that's why it's Dolcha Shabbos. Shabbos is the ultimate in the expression of HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. <coughs> it's the Zecher Lemaisa Bereshis. But there's nothing in how he created the world that prevents HaKadosh Baruch Hu from doing something that's very different from the pattern of creation or the pattern of nature. So you have Maisa Bereshis on the one hand, and then you have the individual decisions over and above or beyond Teva on the other, and that's, again, that's Pesach. The Pesach is Docha, the Shabbos. So each person on Pesach, we can't eat a carbon Pesach, we don't have a carbon Pesach yet. As a matter of fact, the Mepharshim say, be careful not to create something that looks like a carbon Pesach. It's become very popular at the, uh, the smorgasbord, you know, the half a lamb, roasted, can't have that on Pesach night because it looks too much like a real carbon Pesach. We're not supposed to pick up that part of the Kaira that has a little shank bone burnt. You're not supposed to even pick it up when you say Pesach You're not supposed to do that because it shouldn't appear as if we have Kaddishim outside of the Beis HaMikdash. But what should we be thinking? We should be thinking about how a Kaddish Baruch who skipped over those houses to tell us something. I choose who's a Bukhar. I choose which Bukhar is going to live. My Bukhar, I'm Yisrael, and they're going to live. The other Bukharim, not. That's for all time. And for all of the Jewish people, forever and ever. And that's the reason why that Pesach means so much to us. And that's the meaning of the words in the Pesach. Hashgacha Pratis. Everything in our lives, every moment... It's in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands. Asher posach al bate b'nei Yisrael b'mitzrayim b'nakpoyas mitzrayim v'ez batenu hitzil. He decided. Because only he 
ever decides. And so therefore, yes, it's a time when he was poseach, he skipped. And it was a time when he showed mercy. Because when he decides to be merciful, with whom he decides to be merciful, that's all his decision. We commit to that and praise him for that and attest with our faith in that his hashkacha every Pesach as they in Mitzrayim took upon this reality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and only HaKadosh Baruch Hu making the decisions of what will happen in our lives we each year on Pesach come to embrace and re-embrace this verity only he will decide May he decide, Emir Tzashem, to again show kindness and to again show B'ni B'chori Yisrael and cause us to be able to eat min ha-zvachim min ha-psachim that will come up damam, sprinkled on the Mizbeach in the Beis HaMikdash again Emir Tzashem on the 14th of Nisan B'meheira B'yameinu Amen. Amen. Matzo. Yeshus Rabbi Tadelbaum, Yeshus Rabbi Wine. We're moving on to the next of the three major aspects of the Seder, which is Matzo. And sometimes it's the things which are most obvious which require the most amount of articulation and exploration. What is this Matzo? So we start off with, actually, before we even get to this part of the Seder, Pesach Matzah Maror, and we, just, uh, and we say at the very beginning of Magid, we introduce it, Ha Lach Mo'anya. This is the poor man's bread, or actually that's a bit of a, an assumption. Ha Lach Mo'anya. That's really based on the Torah's description, which says that it's called Lechem Oni. What does Lechem Oni mean exactly? So the Gemara presents two options. One option is, is it's called, um, it is a lechem oinim olav dvarim harbe, that you articulate, that you speak about and in front of and over many ideas, which is why we introduce the Magid over it. And we're now going to, it's the process of the, of the Magid, which is sort of being Im, imbibed into it before we eat it. That's one opinion in the Gemara. But the other opinion in the Gemara says, no, like, like, like the word oni actually means, which is, Poverty. It is poor man's bread. Now, without trying to focus on why, it just it is curious that those two seem to be two contradictory ideas. The idea of being able to articulate the freedom of speech and poverty might actually seem to be at odds with one another. Nonetheless, without trying to resolve that tension, maybe it's worthwhile just thinking about the one, the one side for a moment. We call it lechem oni, poor man's bread. Now, I don't know about you, I just checked today. The price of meat... The price of meat at Pesach time per pound, right? The best cut of meat is about $16 a pound, right? The be- the, right we're talking about the best meat. That's the, probably the lowest price you could find for matzah per pound. Let <laughs> me think about that right now. <laughs> you know, you, you, the Costco sale special on matzah, right? I mean, and so let's be honest. The, the price of matzah, maybe it's only called poor man's bread because of afterwards, right? That, that after we buy the matzah, then we become poor. But that doesn't sound like really what's going on over here. Apparently, this is supposed to be lechem only, real poor man's bread. That our forefathers ate to the land of Egypt. So what is really going on over here? What does it mean to be poor man's bread? There are some who suggest that very simply what it means is 
is that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, we'll call it, it's a grade B of food. You know, it's, it's hard to digest, as we know, right? You need to do a lot of good walking on Pesach. It's not so easy to eat. It's not so easy to digest. And that's specifically why it was that the taskmasters would feed this retrograde food to these poor Hebrew slaves because it takes such a long time to digest, they wouldn't have to feed their poor slaves so often. That's the reason why they would do that. The problem is with that, 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 uh, that proposition is that that's really not what the Torah seems to be saying. Because the Torah seems pretty clear. In Parshish Ba'alos, Rabbi start complaining. And they talk about their nostalgic memories in Egypt. What do they talk about? Ah, oh, the cucumbers and all these wonderful things that we ate in Egypt for free, for nothing. It sounded like they were getting... They had a lot of hard work, but they had a lot of good cuisine to go with it, right? Jews, good cuisine. It seemed to work. It seemed, they seemed to have quite a good diet there, even as slaves. Moreover, the, the, when the Torah describes, uh, describes the matzah in, in, in Sefer Dorim Perek Tezayin, it says, it describes, matzah says lechem oini, ki bichipozon eretz mitzrayim. Why is it called this poor man's bread? Because you left in a hurry. Leaving in a hurry is the redemption. Poor man's bread is a symbol of? The slavery, so the two don't really work. If you're going to talk about poverty and, and, and being this, this terrible lower-grade food, then how does it fit with the geula, where that's not what we were experiencing? Very strange to, to, try, to, understand, uh, to try to understand what this concept means. So what we're going to do is we're going to we'll just follow a particular strand of thought, which I'm, I have no doubt everybody is aware of, but it's worthwhile revising because, because there are so many nuances which, which re-emerge as we go through life and experience our lives and we re-experience the Torah that, we've, that we hear. We'd like to explore an idea which is found in the Maharal, the Sifre Maharal, in chapter 51 in his book on Pesach called Gvurois Hashem. The Maharal says is that maybe the way to understand poor man's bread is to contrast it with rich man's bread. There actually is a word for that. We call that on Pesach, matzah, ashira, rich man's matzah. Now, that doesn't mean to say the, the matzah that you can get for the even higher price, right? Because there are places, I, I can make recommendations, where you could find even higher prices if, if anybody's looking. But that's not exactly what it means. Matzah ashira means to say any matzah which has a non-essential ingredient into it. Means to say if, you, if there's honey, there's juice, there's salt, there's anything else in there becomes matzah ashira, and we cannot use that on Pesach. That's what matzah ashira is. I remember as a child, I was always, always wished that egg matzah would be kosher le Pesach. It was so good. It was the best thing. But you can, you can never get it. That's matzah, that would be matzah ashira. It doesn't work. So it's interesting. So contrast that. So if matzah shira is an expansive list of ingredients, lechem oni means the most contracted list of ingredients. Nothing else, nothing in addition. We'll call it, rather than poor in the sense of poor as in poverty, but poor in the certain sense as bare minimum. It's the bare minimum expression of bread. There's nothing else in it. Now that's interesting because... Apparently, it's also a symbol of freedom, right? The Torah frames it as a symbol of freedom. But how is poverty related to freedom? I mean, isn't it sort of the story of all those, you know, sparkly-eyed, you know, travelers who come from all over the world to the lands of opportunity to try to find and their moments and their golden dreams where they can find, move from their poverty to, ex- to experience opportunity, wherever those, golden, wherever those golden medinas are. So how exactly does simplicity or poverty relate to freedom itself? says the Maharal, very simple, is that the greatest sense of freedom is independence. To be independent means to say that nothing else can describe you. Therefore, when you think about a bread, any bread, in a certain sense, is dependent on or is complicated by extra ingredients. What's, what's in a certain sense, independent bread when all you have is two ingredients, flour and water? 
We as people, we have lots of complications, or we'll call it complexities in life. There are lots of different things which weigh in upon our lives, and actually we depend upon. How many things do we, do we think about in terms of how dependent are we? If we think about our social media status, how many times do we need to check in order to be able to feel our sense of self expressed? You know, I, uh, how many likes do we need to have on our channels? How dependent are we on the platform of other people cheering or putting thumbs up on our posts? You know, I, was, I, was, I noticed the other day there's a, there's a fellow whose name is, who came up in the news, in the Jewish news, whose name is um, um, PewDiePie who's uh, one of these Disney upcoming stars who was put in news for anti-Semitism a, a year ago. And one of the things I noticed about him is, is he, has, he has 51 million followers on YouTube. And he was having a machloikas with YouTube because he felt that when people unsubscribed, they were taking away twice the amount of subscribers. So he declared a public battle on the fact that they were taking away subscribers from him. And I thought to myself, poor man. He has a man who has 51 million people and he's still dependent on every single person because he doesn't have any sense of self. He is not free. He doesn't know what it means to be himself independent of anybody clapping whenever he does any move in life. That's what the Maharal is saying. Lecham Ani means to say that in a certain sense we can describe ourselves independent of others, independent of things, independent of ideas in our lives, things around us. Remember, Rabbi, on the same note, Rabbi Ephraim Waxman describes the, uh, a particular flight he took. He was bumped up to business class. He comes into the airplane. And he's sitting there, and a, a, a fellow sits down next to him, and he notices that everybody in the plane is coming over to this person. The stewardess, the captain, everybody's coming from economy class, getting signatures. Okay, he's doing the dive. So he's, he's busy learning. In the meantime, after this is all going on, the fellow introduces himself and says, you know, in a very large name in the, in the, in the music industry, he says, well, that's very nice, my name is Ephraim, and he carries on learning. And, um, and then, so, so as the flight goes on, the man says, you know, that, that, you know, that the, the, the news outlets say that I've got, you know, worth $30 million, but they really aren't counting my fixed assets. He's like, okay, that's, that's very nice. And he carries on learning. And he says, you know, I've released nine albums and I've been, you know, put it on the cover of such and such a magazine. He says, that, that, that really is very nice. And he carries on learning. At the end of the flight, this poor man pulls out a picture of himself, signals it and says, to Ephraim with love, and gives it to him. <laughs> Here's a man who has everything, but he has nothing. Because his sense of self depends on every single person. Yeshli Rav, I don't have enough until everybody else is subscribing to me. That's, that's really where we, that's where we are. Lechemoni is when we can be independent. We can walk into a train station, there's millions of people walking around us, and we can feel a deep sense of gratific- gratification that I'm doing the right thing, I'm who I am now, I'm free. But it's more than that. Matz says the Maral goes even one step further. Matz is not just independent of external ingredients. Matz is independent of time. Because you could have bread which rises without yeast too. You could have bread which gets to that point. We don't even have 18 minutes. It's unbelievable. When you're in a matzah, when, when you're actually in, 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 a, in a matzah, not a factory, but when you're doing it by hand, you see how fast it goes. From the moment that the water hits the flour till the moment it's out of the oven, everything is within the 18 minutes. Unbelievable, unbelievable to watch. But think about that for just a moment. That means to say that it doesn't even have, not external ingredients, it doesn't even have time. Which is why, why the Maharal says that it's in fact in the first month of the year. Hashem, in a certain sense, reconstructs time intervals around matzah. Why? Because the month of freedom is not going to even be measured relative to any other point in time. It's not going to be the second month from, the third month from. It's going to be now independent of anything else. Matzah is created independent of time. Think about it in a certain sense how constricted we are about time. How many times do our calendars revolve around that little ding of the next appointment, of the next priority, of the next thing we need to get to, we need to drop? 
I remember when I, when I, when I was younger, there was, in my doctor's office when I was growing up, he had a little sign on the, on the desk. Uh, you know, sitting at the doctor's desk was always a scary thing because you never know what was going to come, uh, come across. So you, you'd focus on everything on his desk. And th- there was a sign which says, if you don't make time now for exercise, make time later for illness. And I thought about that for, for, for a moment. If you don't make time now for, for exercise, make time later for, for illness. And uh, what, what he said was, was the following is that you don't find time for exercise. You make time for exercise. You don't find time for learning Torah. You make time for learning Torah. But in, we live in a world where we have to find time in our schedules. We have to find the space between everything which is pulling at us in different directions. Says the Maral, matzah is independent of time. We eat at Bechipazon. This is the greatest expression of freedom, is where we no longer have everything else which is defining us. We have no longer everything else pulling at us to our definition of self. I want to close on a, on a positive note with a, with a statement that we say every Shabbos and every Yom Tov. In Nishmas Kol Chai, we say a beautiful statement um, in, um, in, the, in the Siddur, and that is, is God, if we were the most eloquent speakers, the most, um, the mo- the most advanced athletes, if we had everything possible in the world, we would simply not be sufficiently equipped to be able to praise you, O Hashem. And that, that's very poetically true. And we as puny pieces of biological matter, the, uh, you know, on the third rock from a, from a rather, rather medium-sized star in a, in a rather large galaxy, um, we really have, what, what right do we have to thank Hashem? And that makes a lot of sense. The problem is that, that Nishma Skolchai continues. And just a few lines later we say, Therefore, all the things you gave us, the limbs you gave us, the, the, the spirit you gave in us, the, the tongue you put in our mouths, they will praise you. Wait a second, so choose. Or can we say or can we not say? Are we able or do we have the sufficient qualities to be able to thank Hashem or not? How does that work? So Dubla Magid says famously uh, in, in um, explaining a, uh, in, a, in a marshal. He says, imagine you have a king who has a number of courtiers. These are his, you know, his, his cabinet while they last. Um, and um, each, of, each of these, uh, these courtiers is expected to, uh, to present a certain feast at the end of the month for the king. So it comes the first month and it's an elaborate occasion and everything. And the, the invitations go out. The Evites are received. Everybody comes. A beautiful occasion. Second month coming, we call, the, the Joneses have increased now. So no longer is it a one-course meal. It's a three-course meal. The invitations are not simply Evites. Now they're now, they're, they're now arrived in mail, you know, thick paper. And, there's, and now there's actually musical accompaniment. Third month comes. Well, that's not good enough. So therefore, there's a straw, string quartet. There's a five-course meal. And there's hors d'oeuvres at, 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 um, at the beginning. And it keeps on going. Each month it gets grander and grander and grander. Until one month, a quarter comes to the king and he says... Oh, king, can I borrow some money? The king says, what's the problem? He says, well, well it's my month this month. I need to make the, the feast for you. So I'd like to, if you wouldn't mind just extending a, um, an interest-free free loan for the, for the feast. The king says, what kind of cheek is that? Yeah, everybody else over here is selling the mortgage on the house to, uh, to, make, to make the grand expression of their gratitude to the king. And you're asking me for a loan? Says the courtier, yes. The reason is because I understand that if I make something grand for you, it'll be grand for one month. That's how long it'll last before it's going to be forgotten in the annals of history as it is eclipsed by the next person. But you know what? When you give me the right amount of money, when you loan me the amount of money, you're telling me that that's what you think is sufficient to thank me. And therefore, that's exactly what I'm asking, uh, asking you. Says the Dubon Magad, when, when we turn to Nishmas, we, in, a, in a certain sense, what we're saying is, it's not about having the greatest assets in the world. The greatest characteristics, the greatest psychological prowess. That's not what counts. It's about realizing that, Akash Baruch, you endowed us with it. Us at, the, at this particular moment in time, however limited, 
however, however constricted it is, that's what you want from us. We're independent. The perspective of real freedom, or what matzah is, is understanding our place in this universe. It's not about being someone else. It's not about anybody else telling us that we need to be somebody else, or clapping at the theater somebody else they think we are. It's the matzah, without place, without other ingredients, without time, that we can really be truly ourselves. May we be zeichet to a year, a, 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 a festival of true freedom of matzah. Thank you. I'd like uh, <clears throat> to uh, thank uh, the organizers of tonight's meeting uh, for inviting me, and especially for using my bar mitzvah picture on the uh, publicity. <laughs> Greatly appreciated. Uh, as all of you do, I have uh, precocious descendants. Some... Uh, some of mine have uh, skipped a generation, but generally. So I uh, had a phone call from one of my great-grandsons who was entering a yeshiva ktana in uh, a, uh, I don't know how to call it, but it's in the United States, but it isn't. But uh, <laughs> And uh, he has said to me, Zadie says, I have a question. Okay, I told him that this has nothing to do with any reward that will occur later. And so he asked me, he said, you know, the Rebbe taught us that we can use Romaine lettuce for more. But Romaine lettuce doesn't taste bitter. So I reinforced the question. I said, in the Gemara, it says that in the time of the Talmud, they also used the vegetable, the chaseras, which we loosely translate in Israel today as lettuce. So he said, if it doesn't taste bitter, why can we use it for more? So I told him that all the uh, poskims say that it is permitted to do so because the root is bitter. We eat the leaf uh, naturally after we uh, debug it and uh, measure it and everything else. But the root is bitter. So he said to me, again, very cleverly, he said, well, what is the root got? So then why do we eat the root? Why are we eating the leaf? So I thought about it, and uh, I think that the message of Mora lies in that anomaly, in that strange thing. The Torah itself says regarding bitterness, Pore Rosh Valano, that there is a root, Shoresh, a root. Pore that produces Rosh Valano, that produces poisonous, bitter material. The understanding of moror is the root of moror. Where does moror come from? So we look at moror as an external thing. 
In fact, it says in the Haggadah, Mor al Shuma, Mishum Shemeru Amitzrim, Chaye Avoseinu B'Mitzrayim, they embittered us. B'Chomer, B'Levenim, all the work that we had to do. But the truth of the matter is, as uh, has been pointed out here in the two previous presentations, is that the most of what Pesach deals with, even though it deals with external uh, situations and with external enemies, it really deals with ourselves, what, what we are. We, uh, you can have everything in the world and not be free and independent. Uh, the Lord can perform all the miracles in the world for you and you can refuse to recognize it. Uh, we see that in the Jewish world today, both in the Jewish and the non-Jewish world. We're going to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the creation of the State of Israel, which is the most outstanding miracle of our times. And uh, so what? And there's a large section of the Jewish people, that, let alone the non-Jewish world, uh, doesn't, doesn't even deal with it. He doesn't even look at it. There's a bitterness within us. An attitude towards life that's bitter. The root is bitter. Somehow life is unfair to us. If life is unfair, then whatever the Mitzrim do to us is bitter. No matter what they will do. The Ramban says in his famous understanding of why the Egyptians were punished... He said the Egyptians could have had uh, all the benefits of Jewish society without enslaving us. They could have done it nicely. We see that throughout the exile. And the secret of uh, enslaving the Jews is being nice to them, not enslaving them. Give them rights. Give them opportunities. You'll see what they'll do for you. Hitler didn't have the atomic bomb because uh, nuclear physics was Jewish science. If we just stop for a minute, in 1943, the Germans had jet fighters. The United States and the Allies did not have them. Uh, The jet fighters were 250 miles an hour faster than any of the Allied planes. He could have won the war as late as 1943. In 1944, he had rockets, what today we call ICBMs. He could have won the war. But that was Jewish. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. So he destroyed himself. The bitterness that lies within the world generally and within the Jewish world particularly, comes from within. Comes from our attitudes. Comes from what our expectations are. (laughs) To be uh, very relevant, uh, the free agent market for baseball players was very poor this winter. None of the clubs wanted to pay big money. They were instead of paying thirty-five million, they only wanted to pay twenty-five million. 
So the agent said, and, their, and those who represent them said, and the players, you know, I'm going to sign for $25 million. So they signed for nothing. There are a whole bunch of them that signed minor league contracts today. So, in the, I don't know how it is here. I don't want to judge uh, the rabbinic salaries of your rabbis here. But for me, $25 million is nishkoshe, right? <laughs> I could deal with that. But it's an insult. So that's a bitterness that's within us, that gnaws at us, that doesn't allow us any satisfaction. By the Egyptians made our lives bitter simply because we allowed them to. We thought that somehow... We wanted to be accepted as Egyptians, and they didn't want us as Egyptians. We showed up early to build the pyramids. By the third day, nobody else showed up but us. So there's a secret there. You have to look at the root. If the root is bitter, then no matter what the leaf tastes like, and no matter how much charosis you pile upon it, it's more. But if the root is healthy, if the root has no bitterness in it, uh, then even if the leaf itself sometimes is not as crunchy as we wish it to be, but it becomes edible. And therefore you make a bracha on more. The bracha is that we know the difference. We know where it comes from. We know that if the root is bitter, everything will be bitter. Rapsodek HaKoyen Milublin says in his famous Haggadah, he says that it all reverts back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, the snake shows Chava, a fruit that's beautiful, that's desirable, that's tasty, but it's the fruit of death. And she eats from it, and Autumn eats from it, and human beings continue to eat from it. And that's the moror. That's the zeicher, the moror that we have. On Pesach, when we attempt to recreate our freedom, and we attempt to recreate the greatness that the Lord has done for us, one of the things that we have to remember is what our roots are, where it comes from, who we are, why we are. And that enables us to have the experience of what Matzah is and of what Pesach is and the greatness of Klal Yisrael. So I want to wish you all a very happy and kosher Pesach. You know, I, uh, somebody asked me, I, I came in uh, on a 12-hour El Al flight, screaming babies, <laughs> guys looking for a minion, other, uh, you know, other things that you don't get on other airlines. I mean, they're <laughs> just uh, special services. And somebody asked me, I got off the plane, and there was uh, somebody uh, that was helping me. 
So he said, why do you fly El Al? I said, it's the only place where the pilot wishes you Chag Kosher V'Sameach. And to me, that's worth something. Because that means that it's not bitter. And therefore, I want to wish you a Chag Kosher V'Sameach. Enjoy your families, because that's really what the whole ball game is about. Tell your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren values, tradition, memories. That's what you're selling at the Seder. And if we're able to do that, then uh, that's the gula of the month of Nisan and the gula that will come upon us in full glory, certainly in our day. Thank you again. Thank you.